This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, New Orleans? What's up across the Gulf South? And do you listening wherever you are tonight at WWL.com or the Radio.com app? Boy, do we have a lot to talk about tonight. One of the great sports moments and journeys, I think, of our life happened yesterday with Tiger Woods winning the Masters 11 years after winning his last major. It was incredible. The moment was spectacular. It was a rare moment where coast-to-coast, state-to-state, across political lines, gender lines, race lines, everybody that I've talked to was rooting for Tiger in that moment. The, The sport brought us together, which it used to, but it rarely does anymore. What an incredible moment that was with Tiger, Sunday Tiger in his red, finally capturing that major again. We'll talk to Scott Rabelais later in the show at 940. He was at the Masters about that. Also, topics du jour locally throughout the weekend. Will Wade reinstated by LSU. Jacques Doucet. And Baton Rouge will join us. It's 8.40. Plus, the Pelicans hired David Griffin since the last time we were on the air. This happened on Friday. We had no show on Friday, so we've got to get into that to start the show. Also, LSU baseball losing 2 of 3 to Mizzou. We thought this would be one of the softer landings for LSU baseball. Well, it turned into a disastrous road trip, at least for the pitching staff. LSU losing 2 of 3 and they fall out of first place in the SEC West. James Moran comes in at 9-10 to talk to us about it. Plus, the XFL trying to not do what the AAF did, and that is start up a league and then immediately fold. Well, Oliver Luck, the XFL's founder, one of the uh, co-founders, and they're going to be the commissioner there, and he joined Sports Talk earlier today. We'll replay that interview for you in the 10 o'clock hour. Logan's behind the glass tonight. I'm Seth Dunlap just getting started. Our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll. Were you rooting for Tiger Woods yesterday? Simple yes or no there. You can cast your vote at www.com, the radio.com app, and certainly a topic that we'll talk about throughout the show. I'm on Twitter at Seth Dunlap. We're on Twitter at WWLAMFM. And of course, as we do on this program, it's really open lines for you throughout the show at 504-260-1870. And our text line is 870-870. So the Pelicans have hired David Griffin to be their next president of basketball operations. We'll start there tonight, and it's just flat out a massive deal for the Pelicans. And here is why. Griffin's hire comes when he was the most sought-after front office talent and commodity in the league this year. He just was. Now, if you don't know who David Griffin was, spent three seasons in Cleveland, won a championship in 2016, then he was forced out by owner Dan Gilbert a year later when he wouldn't give him a contract extension because Dan Gilbert and Cleveland wanted more control over LeBron James. Now, David Griffin could have decided to take the Los Angeles Lakers job. It was no secret LeBron James wanted him there. 
Outside of the Lakers, there was a slew of other openings that he could have assuredly had. Memphis was one, many others. But that David Griffin chose the Pelicans as much as the Pelicans chose him, it's a massive deal. This job, the franchise, was enticing enough to Griffin that he turned down Big Bad L.A., turned down these other jobs, or at least didn't even really consider them a realistic option for himself. Instead, he comes here to a small market with no history, really, of basketball success professionally. Here's what he saw, and we've talked about it the last two months as we careened towards this moment. He saw an opportunity to remake a franchise in his vision. He has an opportunity to execute one of the biggest trades in NBA history and one of the biggest trades in professional sports history in this country. In return, he gets a king's ansom, he will, of assets that are going to make any rebuild or retool a short one. You know what else he saw that was incredibly important? An owner in Gail Benson who was passionately committed to making this franchise and this team a consistent winner on the court. She differs from her late husband in that. This is a passion project of hers. Griffin realized also, sure, the, the players on this roster beyond Davis, whether you're talking about Drew Holiday or Julius Randle, if Alfred Payton comes back and everybody else, there's at least enough talent here that he can also build around them. Banner day on Friday. Banner weekend for the Pelicans franchise. I was texting back and forth, messaging back and forth with a few people inside the organization over the weekend. And they all were extremely excited about the future. I think every one of them used that word or close to it, excited. And they should be. This wasn't how this franchise operated before. You had this mind meld. It's the word I used with Christian last week between the Pelicans and the Saints. We've talked about it ad nauseum. Not just this year. We talked about it for the last handful of years. How the people running the, the Pelicans were also knee-deep in their Saints duties. And that was taking precedent and priority. And if they told you otherwise, they really weren't being completely open and honest about it. Mickey Loomis is a brilliant sports mind. But he was more focused on his duties with the Saints in that role. He's no longer going to have this job. And I think if you got him in a moment of, of a little reflection and off the record, he'd probably tell you, thank goodness. Now it's up to Griffin to make this higher count. This is this word and phrase, it's cliche now. Critical. Oh, the Saints are entering a critical offseason this year. Every NFL franchise can say that. NBA, every NBA franchise every year, critical offseason. College basketball, critical offseason for LSU. I try not to use that phrase too much because again, it's cliche. It's not always true. I mean, is this offseason for the Saints any more critical than the last two or three have been? Probably not. But this one for the Pelicans, it's the most important offseason in their franchise's history since 2002. And that offseason began before Griffin was hired. You had to make this hire. 
You have to make a decision on a head coach. You've got to execute the Anthony Davis trade. Now they have a guy in David Griffin in that spot who everybody believes is the most qualified person to make that decision of anybody the Pelicans could have hired, anybody they could have elevated from within the organization, or anybody they could have kept in place. Lots of hype around here. I'm, I'm pumped up about this. I'm pumped up about David Griffin for the Pelicans. But hype and, and excitement doesn't make a president of basketball operations. The hype and excitement isn't going to remake this franchise into a consistent winner. David Griffin's going to have to deliver on that. He's going to have to make decisions, the right decisions, that people like me will pan and disagree with them on, that people like you, the listeners, the fans of the Pelicans, will disagree with them on, but that are the right decisions. The best, the smartest sports executives in this, in this country, in the world, in basketball, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, they don't act like politicians who blow and oscillate between opinions and stances and sports worldviews like a wind vane. They don't bow to public pressure. They're not politicians. A lot of GMs, a lot of people in front offices are. The really good ones, they're not. The Theo Epsteins aren't. The Billy Beans aren't. Certainly Danny Ainge hasn't been that up in Boston. So hopefully Griffin's that, and I think he will be. He's no rookie at this. He's no Trajan Langdon, which that would have been one big concern I would have had if they would have hired Langdon. Yes, bright, smart, relatively young guy who looks like he's going to have a very long and bright future in NBA front offices. But getting a gig like this for the first time and having to execute this trade, maybe the biggest trade in NBA history, certainly one of them, you can't be a politician. You can't bow to public pressure. You can't listen to me on Sports Talk Radio or Christian or whatever show or read social media and decide from there, decide what the public wants and then do that. Griffin's been on this rodeo a couple of times before, been at this rodeo a couple of times before, and he's not going to do that, I don't think. So it's, it's a great day for the Pelicans. It, it just flat out is. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Scott Kushner, the advocate, will join us to talk about that hire, talk about the Pelicans' future and this offseason. Scott Kushner next here on The Last Lap. Just big news galore over the weekend. One of the big news items, of course, David Griffin hired by the Pelicans quickly closing that job and giving it to him. Basketball of operations for the Pelicans have told you I'm excited about it. Another guy who's excited about it, it seems like anyways, is Scott Kushner of The Advocate, and he joins us now. And, Scott, we talked to you, I think, the day before this hire was made, and we were kind of talking about, well, who would be the best fit? We talked about David Griffin. I don't know if either of us believed that Griffin would actually accept the job, but lo and behold, he did, Scott. And to me, this seems like a banner day or was a banner day for the franchise. Certainly, and uh, I don't know necessarily, you know, everybody tries to grade things based off of, does this mean they're guaranteed to win and they're more likely? I don't know anything about that. Uh, What this means is that the Pelicans have shown a willingness 
to invest, a willingness to uh, run the franchise in a way that gives themselves the best chance to be competitive. And those are the type of things that they haven't necessarily displayed in the past. And that's a really important step, uh, I think, for this franchise and where they are in the league. They're not trying to be uh, one that does things on value, one that does things, uh, try to run, you know, maybe more efficiently. They're just trying to, to win. And they're willing to make the investment that's necessary. And I think that matters more than anything with regard to this hire because David Griffin did not come cheap. His demands weren't cheap. Uh, and what he expects is to be run like a first-class organization in the NBA, and that is something that this franchise has never had to hire before, uh, and that includes previous ownership till now. They've never had to go out and hire a uh, you know someone who was really sought after to be that top-of-the-basketball-side position, and this was a, a really important step for them uh, as far as gaining credibility across the league you mentioned how in demand he was there was no secret that lebron wanted him in la and there were many other openings there certainly in bigger markets more entrenched you know competitive franchises than the pelicans have been what was the difference here was it just the chance to make this trade was it the power he was given what was it scott yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things. I think the the idea that he is running the basketball side entirely on his own is a huge difference. I mean, if uh, if you go to L.A., I think you've got a lot of other pieces involved there. I think he's worked with LeBron before. It's not exactly the most straightforward process all the time. Um, you know, the chip of having Anthony Davis to trade, and that is something that you're walking into. That is not uh, an asset that a lot of GMs get to start their tenures with, and I do think that helps and that matters. It's Scott Kushner of The Advocate joining us uh, here. Sorry, my mic went off there. I don't know what happened. Uh, Scott, uh, David Griffin said a lot of, of different things in his interviews and when he was doing TV about how he would execute an Anthony Davis trade. What, what has he said, and what do you think his – a worldview of this opportunity to make this trade is. Scott, are you still there? Looks like we lost Scott. We'll get Scott back here. Uh, Logan, go ahead and give him a buzz back. So maybe it wasn't just, maybe we had some kind of weird technical errors here because my mic went off too, and then Scott's went off. So we'll get Scott back here in just a second. Meanwhile, let's get some text here at 870-870. Small market. Could winning make Nola a big market? Could he bring back Coach Monty? Would he make Davis an offer to keep him? Um, I'll answer those, well, at least the last two one by one. Will he go after Monty? No. It's a slower style of play Monty likes is a much better fit in, you know, L.A. with LeBron where he's linked rather than here where you have pieces that you'd like to probably play up-tempo. Would he make Davis an offer to keep him? Sure, he probably will at least have that conversation, but it, it'd be almost unthinkable that after everything Anthony Davis has said – and the split, the rift between the Pelicans franchise and Anthony Davis and his camp, just too wide. Uh, it's just too wide. This text about Tiger Woods from the 985. I never knew nor cared that Tiger Woods was even having a moment. I'm already bored about hearing about it. Really? I mean, I, I don't. If you're a sports fan and you're already bored about Tiger, I'm, I'm not really. I'm not really sure why. I feel like you're just hating there. And that was that was an incredible moment yesterday. It just was. It's just a really incredible moment. I, that's the first time I've seen in the, you know the 24 hours or so since he wrapped up that major win, the Masters win. Uh, the first time I've heard anybody kind of poo-poo Tigers win. First time I've ever heard it. A text from the 504, Golden State is a small market. 
you do realize where Golden State is, right? That's San Francisco and the Bay Area and Oakland. That's one of the six largest markets in the country. Certainly not a small market. From the 504, my guess is that Mr. B was the one who wanted the Saints management to run the Pelicans to save uh, money against Loomis's wishes. I don't know about that. I mean, that's that's speculation and conjecture. But when you're not making a lot of money from your basketball franchise and you want to operate it in the black, you've got to make some tough decisions. And that was one that was made previously that probably wasn't in the best interest of the Pelicans being competitive on the court. And Mrs. Benson obviously has a different worldview to use that again. Let's go back to Scott Kushner. Uh, uh, Scott, uh, I apologize. We lost you there. Um, one of the no, things that was my fault. My phone just stopped getting service. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea why. It was an interesting uh, confluence because my mic stopped working right in that moment, too. So I don't know. It was the, you know, the, the, the weird karma uh, got us both there. One of the things I wanted to ask you was about what David Griffin has said about you know, making this Anthony Davis trade. When he was doing TV and otherwise, he'd made some statements about his philosophy and how he'd kind of handle it. So what are some of those statements and, and how do you believe he'll head into this process? You know, I think he said what, what most people would expect, which is uh, the idea is to get a young asset that can blossom into an all-star and, you know, maybe multiple young assets who can do that. And at the same time, get some draft picks to, so you can build the thing in a stable way that you don't just have to rely on one or two guys that you can build an arsenal. You can make a mistake. It's not the end of the world if you, you know, swing and miss one time um, because you have a lot of chances. And I think, that's improved more than anything to be the most important thing uh, in building these teams is that you're probably not going to do it perfectly every time, but the idea that you get the most cracks at it is critical. And they've got a nice piece in Drew Holiday to kind of build around. They don't have to go get like a veteran leader or anything like that. If they want to be competitive immediately, they've got that ready. Um, and, you know, they're not going to go out and win 50 games next year. I don't think there's any chance of that, quite frankly. But they're also not going to be a 15-win team, and they don't want to be a 15-win team. You can't really do that here. Uh, so I do think they'll make a trade that will help them next season, but with the idea that it builds toward the future as well, that this isn't just a one-year cash-in, that you're going to get something that goes forward. There's no way that Anthony Davis stays now. Uh, I'm sure he'll have that conversations with Griffin about that, but there's no way he stays, right? Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. I, I ruled out the idea that, it, that nothing's possible. <laughs> True. Good point. It's possibility, but it's, uh, it's highly, highly, highly unlikely um, at, at this point. I, nothing has really changed in Davis's mind. I think the bridge has been burned with ownership, um, and especially if he keeps Rich Paul as his agent. I, I just don't even see the team offering him a max contract at this point yeah uh, indeed uh, can i can i hold you through this 60 second break i want to ask you about coach uh, gentry and that possible search scott that's absolutely all right. after my cell service <laughs> I, I can do uh, no worries all right we're gonna uh, quickly take a break here scott kushner of the advocate joining us at scott d kushner on twitter and of course you can find his work at theadvocate.com on the anthony davis situation we will talk will wade's reinstatement and Jock Doucet of WAFB-TV and Baton Rouge will join us at 8.40 to get into the nitty-gritty there. I'm Seth Dunlap, back in 60 seconds here on The Last Lap. Scott Kushner with us of The Advocate. We're talking David Griffin hire. And, of course, one of the decisions he'll have to make, Scott, is on a head coach. And whether he keeps Alvin Gentry or whether he looks outside of house, how do you think that will wind up? Do you think it is Griffin wanting to bring in his own guy or gal, if that's Becky Hammond? 
Uh, you know, I actually fully expect that Alvin Gentry is going to keep the job um, at this point. I really would be surprised if anything else happens. Griffin and Gentry have a good relationship. I think they're people who uh, understand each other. And, I, you know, he's under a guaranteed contract for another year, too. So it's kind of a no-risk scenario from his perspective. Um, but we'll see. You know, I could, I could kind of – I don't know exactly the direction that they're going to go in over time. I don't know what kind of team he wants to build. Uh, if he wants to build a team that runs up and down the floor and, and gets out, you know, because basically what he did in Cleveland was so built around LeBron. And I just don't think that's going to be a good blueprint as to what they do here. Cause it's so different. So um, where they go in coaching uh, as the future holds, uh, could be different, but I do expect Alvin Gentry will get a chance. So the one-year guaranteed deal that he still has for next year, and that was fully guaranteed or earlier this season, um, does that mean that, that he, David Griffin is the he in this situation? Does that mean he was talking to, to Gail and Dennis Lausha and said, hey, you know, this is going to be a multi-year rebuild here, so let's just go into next year with that in mind. That We don't need to be competitive. We don't need to be making the playoffs next year, but we need to set ourselves up for extreme success down the road. Do you think that maybe that indicates that, Scott? I mean, it could. I think more than anything, it's it's the idea that Alvin Gentry did his job well this year, I think, in the eyes of many people. Um, he was put in a ridiculously difficult position and uh, kind of came out looking like a good guy at the end of all of this. And, you know, the team, obviously, a lot of the players respect him. Uh, management at the ownership, I should say, really respects him. Uh, they respect the job he did, and I don't think they feel like he should be fired uh, based for it. And David Griffin, I think, is willing to give him a chance as someone who knows Alvin Gentry really well and understands his strengths and knows how he can build a team to give Alvin a chance next season. Now, I don't know if they'll ever say it permanently, and there's still obviously a chance that he makes a move, that he walks in, sees the roster, and says there's no way we can play Alvin's style of basketball, let's go ahead and move on. Um, but just as far as my prediction and expectation, I think he'll be back. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. Alvin's done a great job, and you're right, kind of local folk hero now. Um, so that, that final question here now is about Drew Holiday and Julius Randle, two of those pieces that will be back that can play in Alvin's system. Are those pieces a lock to stay here, or do you think that Griffin's going to explore trade options if he really does want a top-down rebuild? Uh, you know, I just can't see Drew Holiday getting moved at this point. It's really uh, kind of the, the – they just don't want to be a team that is going to go 15 and, you know, 60-something. It's just not – that's not the way that they want to play. Uh, it doesn't do them any good to build down to the studs like that and basically alienate their fan base. They're not in the type of city – that you're going to have, you know, six to 8,000 season ticket holders just for the fact that it's an NBA team. Uh, if you do not put a remotely competitive product on the floor, people are just going to sit it out until a competitive product comes back. It's not a lot of corporate money. It's not a lot of legacy, you know, uh, type of dollars that are just willing to sit there until the team gets good again. Uh, they, they can't really do that. They're not positioned. So I do think you'll see them try to stay competitive, and that includes – keeping Drew, and I think they'll make a move in free agency to make themselves better for next year, even if it's on a short-term, I mean, more than likely it would be on a short-term basis. Um, but I don't see them, you know, just waiting everything out and kind of having zero, try to get the worst record in the NBA and build from there. It's just that doesn't 
strike me as a, a strategy that either Griffin or the Pelicans would really like to pursue. That well, wouldn't be very intriguing to me either, Scott. It's Scott Kushner of The Advocate, covers the Pelicans there. Be sure you find his work at theadvocate.com, and also you can find him on Twitter at Scott D. Kushner. Scott, appreciate it, man. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely, Seth. Talk to you later. All right, there he goes. And, yes, David Griffin, now the man in charge of the Pelicans, the new president of basketball operations. Now, more hoops, but college version. Massive news yesterday, shocking most of the college basketball world. Although here, and even me, I don't think I was that shocked when I got the news last night, right before the Game of Thrones premiere, about 10 minutes or so. I was actually out. wasn't. Uh, I was over at my friends, uh, if you listen to the podcast, Cena and Styles' house, watching that. But the news came down that, Yes, Will Wade was reinstated at LSU. And you know what? I wasn't a bit surprised about that. I will talk about that next with Jock Doucet of WAFB TV in Baton Rouge. So Will Wade reinstated at LSU, shocked a lot of the country. I don't think shocked a lot of people around here. Most people kind of expected that once the two parties got together with NCAA investigators present. Uh, was that last Friday? Uh, Jock Ducey of WAFB-TV joins us now to talk about Wade's reinstatement. Uh, Jock, were you surprised when you got the news uh, well, yesterday evening that he was reinstated? Uh, Seth, I was a little surprised how quickly uh, it took place in terms of they finally met on Friday. Um, somebody, uh, an LSU official, had told me, Look how long it took to resolve the Javante Smart issue, and that and the Will Wade issue was much more complicated. You know, I think it took almost a week for Javante Smart to get cleared, and so Will Wade meets with LSU and NCAA officials Friday, and then I guess basically Saturday they all got on the same page with their written statements, and then Sunday shut out a release. So I was uh, I was surprised by the timing. I didn't think it was gonna move that quickly although in the grand scheme of things this has gone on for uh 37 days so um it's uh it's been it's been very strange when you cover a team on a day-to-day basis and you're used to interviewing and seeing a guy you know two or three times a week and i haven't seen or seen will wade in person or heard him talk or anything since uh March the 7th, when he appeared at the uh, LaBerge Casino for a, a public appearance. And it's just an eternity in our modern news cycle. There's no doubt about that. Do you see this as an endorsement, an exoneration of Will Wade, or more of LSU just turning things over to the NCAA and saying, hey, he's our guy until you tell us otherwise? Well, Seth, I think there's been a lot of talk uh, about your typical politics and power struggles at LSU, um, you know, there's been a lot of rumors of Joe Oliva getting pushed out and if that's going to happen or not. F. King Alexander and his influence, if he's got too much influence and whatnot. Um, I, I think that in the statement, they basically said they have no evidence of wrongdoing and they felt like he uh, answered their questions uh, well enough to, to return. Um, it is a very uh, bizarre situation, um, and I guess that uh, uh, LSU, there's also some questions of uh, you know legal issues and being sued and this and that. So, um, you know, I don't know if somebody over there just finally said, "Look, let's 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 bring the guy back. The damage is done. We have we have five guys who have declared for the NBA draft. We have a um, a recruiting uh, class we need to bring in and." I agree with Charles Hanegraaff here, a local radio personality, who said that if uh, 
you know, Will Wade wouldn't have been reinstated. You would have had perhaps one of the worst rosters in the history of LSU sports next year uh, on that team after they won, you know, almost 30 games and made it to the Sweet 16. So that would be a pretty depressing, uh, uh, you know, possibility. So I guess they decide this is the best way to roll, and, and here we go. Yeah, here we go, Josh. So let's talk about that recruiting because it's interesting to me. You look at even with Will Wade here right now, and of course he missed part of this really critical recruiting period, but LSU is 13th in the SEC and 90th, give or take a couple numbers there, nationally with really only one big-time recruit even on the radar, and it's not even likely they'll land that guy. So is this program recruiting-wise in trouble regardless of Will Wade's return? Well, they've certainly lost a ton of momentum in the last, uh, you know, 37 days with him not being around or being able to recruit and the, and the negative uh, national press uh, that, that, that LSU has received. But uh, if, he, if he's as good as he's been in the past, Will Wade, when it comes to recruiting and if he can do it the right way, uh, I, I don't doubt that he could hit the ground running and, and do some damage. He certainly inherited an awful situation uh, when he got here a couple of years ago, uh, a team that had gone, you know, two and sixteen in the SEC and was able to start bringing people in, so I think he'll he'll be able to do that. And and then Seth, he, he needs to, you know, the feeling is Tremont Waters and Nas Reed were going pro, but at the same time, uh, you know, Javante Smart, Emmett Williams, Skyler Mays, if he can convince those guys to come back, then LSU's got a shot at having a you know pretty good team next year. It's Jacques Doucet of WAFB-TV in Baton Rouge. Okay, Joe Oliva has come under extreme fire, and you know this. You're inside that hornet's nest over there throughout this whole process. Is is he still possibly, and you alluded to it there, possibly um, in danger of losing his job after all of this, or do you think now that the reinstatement has happened that the, the natives won't be so restless? You know, I've, I've heard a lot about him getting pushed out in the last couple of weeks, and, and you know, you kind of wait to, to see that stuff. There's been a lot of talk about uh, Verge Osbury and a role he could play moving forward, but none of that stuff is, has materialized yet. Uh, you know, Joe Oliva has basically a year and change uh, left on his contract, uh, which I think expires July of uh, 2020. Um I, I think he is in a position that is always going to be unpopular. Skip Berkman was a god when he was the baseball coach. He became the AD. His popularity took a hit because he had to raise ticket prices and do things that people don't like. Uh, certainly, Joe Oliva has been here a long time. He's, he's done uh, some good things. He's done a lot of things that have rubbed fans the wrong way. He hasn't always been personable or likable. Um, I think in this case, he, I think a lot of objective people uh, think that he did the right thing in suspending Coach Wade, although I think 90% of the LSU fans don't like what he did. So um, you, you never know over there. I've, I've seen numerous people get pushed out over the years. AD seemed to last a long time. Joe Dean was around a long time. Um, Skip Bourbon was around a long time. And uh, and now Joe Oliva has been around for a while. So if you're him, uh, do you keep fighting when you know a lot of people don't like you to keep your job? Or is that $700,000 a year uh, salary, you know, 
keep you around for for a little bit longer if you can. It's just so interesting to watch that play out because I don't really know what Joe Oliva could have done, Jock, other than what he did, unless he wants to set the precedent that coaches don't have to meet with their bosses whenever they want and they can basically uh, run their own show without any consequences. Am I reading that wrong? It it seemed like he was in a no-win situation there. Either he was going to set that precedent or he was going to draw the the, the ire of 90% of the fan base, like you mentioned. Yeah, I think if you uh, you get called in or I get called in or whoever, and and you say, hey, I'm not I'm not coming to talk, then you leave your employee really employer no no choice but to but to suspend you or in our case probably fire you. Uh, in his case, everyone knows he's a good coach and LSU's in a spot they haven't been in in 13 years and uh, finally had some excitement around their basketball program that LSU doesn't want to fire him. And certainly they didn't. They, they, they waited almost 40 days before he finally came in. So, um, you know, I think, uh, and I also think that, that there's been a lot of talk and about is Joe Oliva, has he been allowed to just do his job or does he have people like F King Alexander and others kind of cut, cut his feet out from under him. Uh, i.e. 2015, you know, was Jimbo Fisher lined up and ready to replace Les Miles as the head coach, and then somebody stepped in and said, no, we're not doing this because it looks bad. We can't pay, you know, Les Miles 12 or $15 million to go away. So uh, there's been a lot of talk about that as well. Uh, finally here, do you possibly, and I don't know, if maybe not you, I don't want to phrase it that way, Jack, but I'm just, I've just been wondering if, if this is a case of be careful what you wish for if you're LSU fans here and wanting Will Wade reinstated because you're going to have this cloud surrounding him as the investigation goes on and the possible testimony goes on. And certainly recruits are savvy enough in social media now that they see all of this. And I, I just wonder with the recruiting hit that, that we see in progress here. With, with Again, I think they got one three-star guy. And a two-star guy, and that's it. And the, all these defections. That uh, is this possibly a, a situation where LSU will be harmed at least in the short term with Will Wade coming back than if they would have just had a clean slate. Yeah, you know, Seth, that's a good point. I, I guess if you put a gun to my head and you ask, okay, would you rather fire Will Wade and then try to find another coach to take over this situation, or do you stick with Will Wade, who has proven he can win? to see if he can, you know, kind of – LSU's got a lot of dirt and oil pouring all over him right now. Uh, can Will Wade kind of scrub some of that stuff away and can they grind through this? Uh, I guess maybe Will Wade is the better option, but it's not over. Um, you know, obviously the FBI hearing and everything coming up in a, in a couple of weeks, and I guess Yahoo has emptied their gun when it comes to all the bullets and all the information they had. It was like a Netflix series, you know. It could just release it all at once. We had to – have different <laughs> the 12 right. episodes or whatever. But um, but uh, if there's another smoking gun, there's more info that comes out and he gets busted, then, L- then you've got a major PR um, disaster for LSU. And, and I think a lot of people have thought they could have handled uh, this, this better already. But then at the same point, if Will Wade would have had the lawyer he had, uh, I think his second lawyer obviously was much better than his first. If he would have just gone in and handled this in early March, then – things could have been a lot different. I've talked to you so much over the last few years, Jock, that you're usually so upbeat and optimistic when we talk. I can hear the exasperation and the exhaustion in your voice after all this, man. It's it's, it's been a the hell of a month. Maybe I'm just old. I'm getting old. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, it was uh, I, I just it, it was an exciting time uh, to cover LSU going to the Sweet 16, but this thing was always looming in the background, and 
you have people and, and the media ask you, well, is this is this going to get wiped away anyway? Is this going to get away? You know, is there going to be an asterisk next to this? Is it going to be vacated? And I can't answer that. I don't know what the NCAA is going to do down the line when it comes to this year and what they're going to find and, and all that. So uh, I think people like sports because it's an escape from politics and a lot of things that wear people out and they don't like. And, and then you, you, you get these kind of things that get into sports as well and kind of bog it down a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, we'll see how this plays out. It's going to be fascinating next few weeks, next few months. Really appreciate it, Jocks. We'll talk again. Okay. Thank you, Seth. All right, Jock Doucet, WAFB-TV in Baton Rouge. And, yes, it's – boy, the, the sordid tale continues. And I don't envy Joe Oliva. Bobby Bear said something tonight that I completely agree with. That it's time for LSU fans in our minds, and I say our, that's Bobby and I, to give Joe Oliva a bit of a break here. There is nothing that he could have done other than what he did. He he made the right decision. It just had to happen, the suspension. And had Will Wade met with LSU when this all happened, when all these details came out, and when he was asked to meet with F. King and, and Oliva, and anybody else, the NCAA investigators there and lawyers present, if that would have happened, you probably would have had Will Wade coach in the tournament. And who knows how far they would have advanced. Certainly seemed a little overmatched against Michigan State, so maybe that was their ceiling this year. But gosh darn it, can we move past this blaming Joe Oliva for this? I just will never understand it. We'll never understand it. And th- that's coming from somebody who has used my platform and what I do to be heavily critical of Joe Oliva over the years with some of his decisions and some of his hires, some which he's been vindicated on some of those hires. Other decisions he hasn't. But this one, it it just seems unfathomable why people would be mad at Joe Oliva and want his proverbial head on a platter and want him out at LSU because he suspended an employee who gave him that middle finger and told him I'm not meeting with you when his boss has asked him to I understand Will Wade's side of this I understand he didn't want to implicate himself he possibly is going to have to testify at a federal trial and he didn't want to say anything in those meetings that might come back to bite him I get it I get Will Wade's side of this I do but I also understand Joe Oliva's side, and there's nothing else he could have done. So it's a, for as much as uh, Jock was exasperated, you've heard me the last month and a half talk about it. I'm, I'm tired and I'm exasperated and exhausted I'm talking about it. But we will continue to cover it. And if you think this is the last time we've heard about FBI wiretaps or investigations or recruiting irregularities, well, you haven't been paying attention. That tale is still being told. We'll take a break. Back on the last lap after this. One of the stories over the weekend, the Pelicans hiring David Griffin. Thanks to Scott Kushner coming on a bit ago to talk about that. Here's a text from the 985. I was a season ticket holder for the Pelicans when Monty was here. I'm not now. I will be again if Monty returns because it won't be next to last in D. It's just the roster that's in place right now. I actually was a little surprised Monty was let go when he was let go. But let's not act like the Monty Williams era with the Pelicans 
was all roses. It was not. That was a really tough stretch for New Orleans. I understand he was let go when Anthony Davis was really just entering his prime and becoming this force that he is today. But do you really want to slow it down, grind it out, pace the place here? Not with the current roster. No way. Monty should get another job in the NBA, and sounds like he will. Sounds like he might be in L.A. or somewhere else. I wish him well. I just don't think it's a right fit here. We'll take a break for news. Going live on Facebook right now, WW Radio Facebook page. We'll talk Will Wade reinstatement next hour. LSU baseball with James Moran and Masters with Scott Rabelais. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.